lecture with, the tip of the tongue goes to which lymph nodes? That's submental. Say the side of the tongue goes to which lymph node? Submandibular. And the posterior one-third of the tongue probably goes to which lymph node? The tonsillar lymph node, juculodegastric, or submandibular. Submandibular eventually goes to the juculodegastric. But that tip of the tongue that is going to the submental, yes, a little bit could, could go to the submandibular and then to the juculodegastric. But the main flow from the submental is going to the juculoomohyoid lymph nodes. So that is a take-home message. Submental can go straight to the juculoomohyoid. So that would be the inferior part of the deep cervical lymph nodes. Now, when you look at that picture, the last slide from the previous lecture, you can see that the more medial or the more to the midline the lesion in the tongue would be, the more chance of that lesion um, draining to the other side is possible. Right? So if you're on the lateral side of the tongue, you probably stay on that side. If you are a lesion that is more in the midline of the tongue, you could have lymph nodes on either side of your, your face. Then that the one before last lecture where I, uh, slide where I stopped, that was a slide that you're going to get in the next lecture as well, because the next lecture is autonomics. It's about autonomics. It showed you the cranial nerve number seven. Cranial nerve number seven has a parasympathetic nucleus. Which parasympathetic nucleus is cranial nerve number seven? Superior salvatory nucleus. So that produces preganglionic fibers. And those preganglionic pre fibers travel with seven through the internal acoustic meatus all the way up to the geniculate ganglion. They don't do anything in the geniculate ganglion. They just go through it. And they either go through the greater petrosal nerve or they follow the facial nerve and go through the caudate tympani nerve. If those preganglionic parasympathetics were traveling through the greater petrosal nerve, they would meet which ganglion? The pterygopalatine ganglion. And the pterygopalatine ganglion is very close to which cranial nerve? The PT ganglion goes to the PT fossa. And which cranial nerve travels in the PT fossa? The maxillary nerve. Good. So now we have the maxillary nerve and we have the PT ganglion very close by. The maxillary nerve gives off branches. So now you have to know which branches it gives off in the mid-face. Well, there are some branches that are going down to the palate. So there's greater palatine and lesser palatine nerve. So if you have the PT ganglion, the post-ganglionic parasympathetics will travel with the greater palatine and the lesser palatine nerve go for the target organs which would be glands on the heart palate and the soft palate. There's a psychomatic nerve that comes from the maxillary nerve. So parasympathetics will travel with the psychomatic nerve and that psychomatic nerve actually gives off a communicating branch to cranial nerve number five, branch one which is the ophthalmic and you know the branches of the ophthalmic are NLF nasociliary, frontal, and lacrimal. 
And that communicating branch from the psychomatic nerve goes to the lacrimal nerve because parasympathetics have to go to the lacrimal gland. Now the nasociliary nerve in the orbit goes to the nose, goes to some structures in the eye, but gets its parasympathetic from which cranial nerve? That ciliary ganglion. From cranial nerve number three, which has which nucleus in the brain? Edinger Westphal, right. So now we have Edinger Westphal for say a little bit of the nose and the eye. We had PT ganglion from the facial nerve for say nose and palate. Then we have the corda tympani that will join the lingual nerve and hanging down of the lingual nerve we have a ganglion. Which ganglion? Submandibular ganglion that will send its postganglionic parasympathetics to the submandibular gland and the sublingual gland. Then there's one salivary gland left. And that's the parotid. And the parotid is linked to which nucleus in the brain? That's the inferior salvatory nucleus, and that has to do with cranial nerve number nine. And cranial nerve number nine gives off a lesser petrosal nerve that joins the otic ganglion, and then you get the auriculotemporal nerve going to the parotid gland. That is, in a nutshell, your parasympathetics. Then sympathetics. They're all postganglionic. They come from the, well, which ganglia do you have in, of the sympathetics in the neck? You have an inferior one, you have a middle one, and you have a superior one. So the superior one is the last cervical ganglion of the sympathetics. So everything in the head is postganglionic sympathetics. Which nerve do you have to know that is a sympathetic nerve that is in the head. That's the deep petrosal. That's the only sympathetic that we really talk about, the deep petrosal. And the deep petrosal meets the greater petrosal to form the nerve of the pterygoid canal. That's the end of the story of sympathetics, because sympathetics travel with blood vessels, and they reach their target organ. They go to smooth muscle, and they go to some things in the eye because they will cause what to the pupil? Sympathetics? They dilate. Good. And there are some, yes, you have to know one thing about sympathetics too. Yeah. When you get the eye lecture, there is a levator palpebrae superioris, which closes the eye or opens the eye? It opens the eye. But that levator palpebrae superioris has a few Smooth muscle fibers. And you know that smooth muscle fibers are done by sympathetics. So that is the tarsalis muscle. So the tarsalis muscle is done by sympathetics, as well as the dilator of the pupil, and say smooth, smooth muscles in blood vessels. Right, so now we're going to go to this one. Nasal cavity and palate. So we're going to look at the skeleton of the external nose. And you see that there's part of the cartilage up here. So when you look at the skull in the wet lab, you will not see this part. So the nose is, say, very small. But you will see part of the nasal bone up here. 
there's a, a little bit of the frontal process of the maxilla. There is the nasal septum. There's a little bit of the spine up here. There's septal cartilage. But you know that there are two bones of the nasal septum, and that is the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid and the vomer. So let's look at this. You see the nasal septum? Uh, it's very rarely in the center. It's usually deviated a little bit. So there's nothing wrong with this one. The inferior conja, which is a bone by itself, and then the middle conja, and depending on where you cut, which part of the coronal uh, section, you can see some of the uh, superior conja as well. So superior conja, middle conja is part of the ethmoid bone. There's the cribriform plate, part of the ethmoid bone, the cristagalli, and the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid. Ethmoid is also the medial wall of the orbit. So it's the lateral wall of the nose, but it's the medial wall of the orbit. Sometimes people need an operation on the nose, either cosmetic or functional. So they get what we call, don they get a nose job. Now, when you do a nose job, you have to be careful because you have the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid, which has a fake, it has a continuation with the cribriform plate. So if you're going to manipulate the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid, there is a chance that you can cause a cerebrospinal fluid leak. Apart from that, you can cause a kind of shearing force in here where, or I shouldn't say shearing force, but you can cause, say, minor, minor fractures in the cribriform plate, which can affect the olfactory uh, fibers. So a nose job is good, but you always have to think of the possibility of a cerebrospinal fluid leak or some damage to the olfactory bulb and filaments. Then when you operate on a nose for, say, nasal polyps, nasal polyps are usually protrusions of the nasal mucosal lining from the ethmoid sinuses, sometimes from the maxillary sinus, but especially from the ethmoid sinuses. And you operate on here, you have to be aware that the ethmoid is also the medial wall of the orbit. And once you operate up there and there's a little blood, polyp or fat tissue, it tends to look the same. So there is a danger of, of causing problems with the orbit when you operate up here. If there is cancer of the maxillary sinus, it can go to the oral cavity because the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. But cancer could also move to the eye. If you're an unlucky recipient of a squash ball to your eye, squash balls are small, so they can put a lot of pressure on the structures in the orbit. You can get what we call a blowout fracture, so that stuff from the orbit will break through the wall, through the roof of the maxillary sinus,
and then this muscle gets trapped in the bony fragments. And these muscles are the inferior oblique and the inferior rectus. So that's what I want to tell you from this picture. Apart from, or not apart, as well as the fact that if you have a swelling in the nose, and the swelling originates from the lateral side, it's probably from these conja. There's a swelling in the nose that originates from the midline. It has to do with the nasal septum. If there's a swelling in the nose that is in the center, it most likely has to do something with the sinuses. You think that is easy knowledge to remember? I've had many patients refer to me where people would say this person has a polyp in the nose and you would just look inside the nose and you would see that the swelling comes from the lateral side. The lateral side is the inferior conja. Now the conja is the bone. Around the bone is a lot of, say, swell, swelling tissue. There's a lot of mucosa around it. And as you know, when you have a stuffy nose, that can happen within, say, less than a minute. This is really um, structures that are engorged with blood vessels or rich with blood vessels so it can really swell up. So if you have a nasal allergy and you look inside the nose, then you see a swelling from the lateral side of the nose, not from the midline. If you see a swelling from the midline, it most likely is a nasal septal hematoma. And if it's in the center, it's a polyp. So let's see what we have up here. The nasal septum. The septal cartilage and the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid. As I told you, cribriform plate. That's where the bulb would be, cranial nerve number one. It has a little attachment to the sphenoid. And the large bone that is inferiorly is the former, it's also called the plow bone, and that has a firm linkage to the sphenoid sinus. And sphenoid sinus, you will associate that with the cella tussica where you have the pituitary gland. And what you see from here is that if you want to do an operation on the pituitary gland, you go through the nose. You have to make sure via a CT scan that there is a well-aerated sphenoid sinus. And if you know that, you can go through the nose and you use a landmark, and the landmark would be your nasal septum. That would be your foma, because the foma would lead you to the sphenoid sinus. Once in the sphenoid sinus, you can go, say, obliquely upwards, and you get to the pituitary gland. former ethmoid. There is a nerve traveling up here, which is the nasopalatine nerve. And since this is in the mid-phase, the nasopalatine nerve must be a branch of the maxillary nerve. There's a sphenopalatine artery traveling up here, a branch of the sphenopalatine artery traveling on the nose. Must be a branch of the maxillary artery because it's in the mid-phase. 
We see again the heart palate, incisive foramen, so this is pre-maxilla, maxilla, and a horizontal plate of the palatine bone. Now we look at the lateral wall, and the lateral wall of the nose has plenty bones that make it up. You see a little bit of the nasal bone, there's the maxilla, there's the lacrimal bone, the inferior conja, because there's a bone by itself, and then the middle conja and the superior conja, which are part of the ethmoid. And then there's a little bit of the palatine bone as well in the lateral wall of the nose. That is the vertical plate, the vertical plate of the lamina, of the uh, palatine bone. Palatine bone is a, is a very interesting bone. It's part of the heart palate. It's part of the lateral wall of the nose. And actually it has a little bit of an orbital plate. So the orbit itself has a little part of that lacrimal bone. And then in the back, we have that medial plate of the pterygoid process with the hamulus. And around the hamulus, you have the tensor Fede palatini. You see the pure bones up here, but you have to fill it up with, say, um, nasal mucosal lining that is around it. And then when there's nasal mucosa around it, then we tend to talk about it as um, I got it. I forgot the name, but I'll 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 get it. <laughs> um, so, because of this conja, you have a um, an area we call it a meatus. So this is the inferior meatus, which is below the inferior conja. Here we have the middle meatus, that is between the middle and the inferior, and here we have the superior meatus between the superior and the middle. So that is where air will flow through the nose. As I said, there's a very rich blood supply up here. So cold air will be warm by the time it gets to your, to your lungs. It will also be um, having the right humidity because the nasal lining will um, make sure that it has the right humidity. In these areas, things drain. So in the infirmiatus, your nasal lacrimal duct empties. In the middle meatus, most of the sinuses will drain. You have the maxillary sinus that drains up there, your frontal sinus that drains up there, and you have your anterior and middle ethmoid air cells that will drain. So that is a very important area. Then in the superior meatus, you have the posterior ethmoidal air cells that will drain. And then above that superior meatus, there is a little area which we call the sphenoethmoidal recess, and that is where the sphenoid sinus will drain. So if we remove some of the conja, you can see other structures of the ethmoid bone, 
you see an oncinate process. You see an ethmoid bulla. And between that would be the semilunar hiatus because it looks like half a moon. So that's why they call it a semilunar hiatus. And that is where most of the sinuses will drain. This area that is below the inferior conja has the nasolacrimal duct. So the nasolacrimal duct gets tears from the eyes into the nose. And you know what happens when you look at a movie that is quite emotional. You produce a couple of tears. Those tears go through the nasolacrimal duct into the nose and you start to go like <laughs> and if you control that properly then it's sufficient to get rid of those extra tears but if that doesn't work because the movie is really emotional then you probably have to blow your nose because people know that there's something there's, there's, there's more fluid than normal and if it's very emotional, then the nasolacrimal duct cannot even handle all those tears, and those tears will come and roll over your cheek. Right? But if somebody suddenly begins to sniff, then think of that nasolacrimal duct going into the inferior meatus. If you have sinus problems and you get headaches, then most likely it is in the middle meatus, because in the middle meatus, most of the uh, sinuses will drain. Right, so let's see. Oop. Right. So the nasal septal cartilage is cartilage that touches the former and it touches the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid, but never reaches the uh, sphenoid sinus. The former reaches the sphenoid sinus. Inferior conja is on the lateral side of the nose, so it doesn't have any contact with the uh, sphenoid sinus. The medial plate of the pterichoid process is posterior to the nose, so that will not really lead you to the um, sphenoid sinus as such. And Christagalli is inside the cranial cavity. You cannot really reach that from the nose itself. So yes, 47% has it correct. So let's go up here. Integration of the ethmoid bone. 
Ethmoid bone is quite an interesting bone. I told you already that it is part of the medial wall of the orbit, part of the uh, roof of the anterior cranial fossa. It produces the superior and the middle conja. Inferior conja is all by itself. Um, that's a lot of details, as long as you know the Christagalli. On both sides, you would have the olfactory bulb. It has ethmoid air cells. It's the medial wall of the orbit. And it has the perpendicular plate of the nasal septum. That's a picture that you have to look at, and then after a couple of seconds, you get it. There's a superior view. So these are the maxillary sinuses. That's the anterior wall of the maxillary sinus. Is the nasal septum. And we're looking at the roof of the nose, which is the... No, sorry. We're looking at the floor of the nose, which is the roof of the oral cavity. So this is the maxillary bone. That's the palatine bone. That's the pterygoid process. This is the medial pterygoid plate with the hamulus. That's the lateral pterygoid plate. Infratemporal fossa would be up here. Now we're looking from inferior to superior, and we see this same picture again with the pterygoid plate, a little pyramidal, pyramidal process of the uh, palate. This is the horizontal part of the palate, greater palatine nerves, lesser palatine nerve, incisive foramen, part of the maxilla that becomes the psychomatic bone up here. This is infratemporal fossa. This picture we have seen already, so I don't really want to go over it again. And I told you there's a lot of repetition. This picture we have seen previously with the greater palatine nerve and the greater palatine artery. But I'm going to ask you again that greater palatine nerve is a branch of which cranial nerve? as V2, because we are still in the one-third, the middle one-third of the face, and the middle one-third is the maxillary nerve, so this is maxillary nerve. The greater palatine artery is a branch of maxillary artery, is a branch of the descending palatine, and the descending palatine is a branch of the third part of the maxillary artery. This picture we've seen previously. So, we're going to paranasal sinuses. And they're paired apart from, say, the sphenoid sinus, although you can say the sphenoid sinus is paired too because it has a septum in the, s well, never in the center, but somewhere. Uh, rich sensory innovation. Um, produces mucus, and here we get to the function. So I want to make a little um, remark on this part. The function of the paranasal sinuses 
people have no clue. And if people have no clue, they put all sorts of reasons why. Warming and humidifying the air. Well, the paranasal sinuses are on the side. Air doesn't go into the paranasal sinus, then comes out and says, now I'm warm. No, it's, it's bypassing it. So that is not really true. Enlargement of certain areas of the skull is not really true either because some people are just walking around that have only one maxillary sinus. Or they have a very large frontal sinus on one side and a very small frontal sinus on the other side. They don't know it until you take an x-ray or until you do a CT scan. So that, that doesn't hold. It minimizes the mass of the skull. Well, they figured out that the mass of the paranasal sinuses is about two to three ounces, which is about 90 grams. Forget about that, forget about that. I mean, somebody that, that doesn't have a frontal sinus or a maxillary sinus on one side doesn't has its head lopsided because there's a difference in weight or so. No. Um, sometimes they say it's for resonance of the sound. Sometimes they say it's for a vestigial organ for smell. Um, I have my own theory. My own theory is that you have these paranasal sinuses, because otherwise you wouldn't be a doctor. They give you all sorts of pathology. So that is great for you. But that is a poor excuse, of course. But the paranasal sinuses, as a doctor, you actually make use of it. Because if I have a nosebleed, a severe, severe nosebleed, which artery would be the cause of that? Okay, you don't know it? Where's the nose? Which part of the face? It's the middle one-third, right? So, what's the answer to the question? Yeah, it's as simple as that. So, if I have a severe nosebleed, it probably is because of the maxillary artery. Now, you, ha you had a little chance to find out which branch of the maxillary artery. Sphenopalatine artery, very good. Sphenopalatine artery travels in which space. There's the, the pericopalatine fossa because it's the third part of the maxillary artery, right? Or you can get to the second part of the maxillary artery which would be an infratemporal fossa. Now, if we go back, no, we don't go back. Great, we don't go back. So what I want you to, oh, I know there's an easier way, but not for me. I can tell you that, not for me. Okay. So this is the maxillary sinus, this is the infratemporal fossa, and somewhere up here is the pterygopalatine fossa. So if there's a severe nosebleed, you could go through the anterior wall of the sinus, go through the maxillary sinus, and then you get to the posterior wall of the maxillary sinus, which is part of the infratemporal fossa, is the anterior wall of the infratemporal fossa. So 
you can reach that maxillary artery and put a clip on it and that will stop much of the flow to the to the sphenopalatine artery. You can also go into the nose. Um, if you go into the nose, okay, I'm not going to mess it up more, but if that I'll show that in another picture. If you go into the nose, you know that you will see the inferior conja, the middle conja, and the superior conja. If you go to the middle conja and you just follow it in a straight line, say in a transverse line to the back, you get to the sphenopalatine foramen, where the sphenopalatine artery is. So that's where you can cauterize or put a clip on the blood vessel and stop most of the bleeding. Most of the bleeding because we have the nose up here and I told you in a previous lecture that there's also ethmoidal. So there's ethmoidal arteries with a branch of the ophthalmic. So you have to go into the orbit, find the ethmoidal arteries and block those and clip them and then you have really stopped most of the bleeding in the nose. So yes, paranasal sinuses could be used for surgery. You can get there. If you have a blowout fracture, you can go into the maxillary sinus and push up all the content of the orbit back into the orbit. Put a balloon in the maxillary sinus for scaffolding and then remove that balloon after about 10 days. How do you put the balloon inside the nose? Think of the lateral wall. You have the inferior conjure. Below the inferior conjure, you have the inferior meatus. Through the inferior meatus, you can go into the maxillary sinus, blow up the balloon, so you will have a little tube out of the nose for 10 days. After 10 days, you deflate the balloon, pull it out, and that's it. So paranasal sinuses are good for surgery. Yes, you can learn all these things. I shouldn't say learn it, you can read them and take them all with a, a large grain of salt. So paranasal sinuses, this is nice to know, good to know, because you see at the age of one it is very, very small. It gets eventually larger, these sinuses. So if you come with a baby under the age of one and you will diagnose the child with a sinusitis, then think of this picture and you think, mm -mm, that is not really possible. So gradually these sinuses will fill, or will get larger and larger. And sometimes they will not. So the mucosa. And now I get the name that I couldn't find. Turbinates. So the inferior conja, when it has all this, say, mucosa around it, we call them turbinates. So you have an inferior turbinate, a middle turbinate, and a superior turbinate. That is the clinical um, term for it. The conja is just the bone inside. The meatus is the space below it. So if this is the inferior conja, the space is the inferior meatus. That's the middle conja, the space below it is the middle meatus. So here you look from posteriorly to anteriorly and 
that opening we call that the coanae. And in embryology you will learn that that one is closed and then eventually opens. Sometimes it stays closed and then you have a coanal atresia. Then you cannot breathe through the nose. And you have to know that children, babies born are obligate nasal breathers. A child will refuse, a baby that is born will refuse to breathe through their mouth. They want to breathe through their nose. So if there's a coanal atresia, this child will just get blue and blue and blue. And eventually they will just breathe once and then they will stop breathing again. You as a doctor that is doing a delivery, you will suck all the mucus out of the nose so with a tube you will easily find out if there's a coanal atresia or not. So the mucosa of the nasal cavity is up here. So now it is a turbinate, an inferior turbinate, middle and superior turbinate. We know that the nasolacrimal duct is up here. Most of the sinus is up there and only the posterior ethmoidal up there and the sphenoethmoidal recess for the sphenoid sinus. There is a cilia, the, 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 the lining has cilia, and the cilia are directed to beat towards the ostium. That's what they do, and that's what they keep doing. So even if I make an opening in the maxillary sinus up here, the cilia will still go to the ostium. That's what they've been programmed to do. Now, if you have a maxillary sinusitis, and the cilia movement is not as good as it used to be. So you get stasis of material. There is what we call an osteomeatal complex. That is the area of that middle meatus. If that is enlarged or this nasal septum is quite deviated, then there's problem of the, most of the nasal, uh, paranasal sinuses that drain in the middle meatus, that gives problem, and then you get stasis, and then you get infection, and if infection is there for a long time, then sometimes it may turn into cancer. This shows you the, the drainage, the flow of most of the sinuses, Eventually, it will find its way into the nasal, into the uh, oropharynx. And once it's in the oropharynx, then your, s your swallowing is not voluntary anymore. So most of that um, stuff that comes out of the sinuses, you will just swallow it and you're not really aware of it. This one is just summarizing again what I have said so I don't want to go through that if you want to make an opening into the maxillary sinus you would go into the inferior meatus and break this part of the wall and you're in the maxillary sinus so if you want to do a sinus washout you usually make an opening up here put fluid in the maxillary sinus and all the stuff will drain via its natural opening
this picture, this coronal section is, is the most important one. Have that in your mind because it will show you that if you go into the inferior meatus, you can go to the maxillary sinus. The maxillary sinus has nerve nerves from the maxillary nerve, say branches of the infraorbital, they will travel up here in the bone for innervation of the maxillary sinus going up to the teeth. So you see that's very thin bone. So if there's an infection of the sinuses, it will affect the sensation in your teeth. If you go to the dentist and the dentist will remove a, say a molar and it gave some trouble, there is a possibility of an oral um, maxillary fistula. fistula. So if a person develops a sinusitis after having had a dental extraction, you have to think of this picture. It is possible. Think of the blowout fracture. Think of how you could repair that by just pushing it through and putting a balloon up there for scaffolding and then just remove it. Think of that maxillary sinus that will lead to the infratemporal fossa for, say, if there's a nosebleed that you can clip the maxillary artery. Think of whenever you do a nose job and you work on that perpendicular plate of the ethmoid that there's a danger of cerebrospinal fluid leak or damage to olfactory nerve. If you operate in the nose or if there's any cancer up here, it can spread to the eye. So this picture is really important to remember. What you have to know from the nose is that it has a blood supply from the maxillary artery and a blood supply from the ethmoid, art ethmoid arteries up here. There are lots of labels in this picture, but we're not really interested in medial superior posterior nasal branches and in a medial nasal branch. What you have to know is in the mid face is maxillary nerve. The anterior part is by ethmoidals. So innervation is done by cranial nerve number five, the maxillary nerve and the ophthalmic nerve. And that's exactly the same up here, but here we talk about the, the septum, so then you have the nasopalatine nerve. And in the back you have that descending um, palatine artery that will give branches, and you have the greater palatine nerve that will give branches to the nose. But it is all um, maxillary nerve. So see what you can answer on this one.
Right, that's good. So mustoid air cells is a no-no, right? That's way in the back. Doesn't make sense. Ethmoid air cells, we just said that that was, say, the medial part, the medial wall of the uh, orbit. Uh, maxillary sinuses are up here, frontal sinuses are up there, so it must be sphenoid sinus. It has something to do with the um, tussica, the pituitary gland. Um, you think of uh, chiasma opticum. Chiasma opticum uh, is optic nerve, goes through the uh, optic canals. Optic canals is just very close to the lesser wing of the sphenoid. And then you have the answer, sphenoid sinus. So Kieselbach's area is an area on the nasal septum where branches of anterior ethmoidal sphenopalatine, which is maxillary nerve, greater palatine, which is maxillary, oh sorry, artery. So there's ophthalmic artery, internal carotid artery. Sphenopalatine is maxillary artery, external carotid artery. Greater palatine is maxillary artery. Superior labial is say, um, facial, these are minor, these are major. That's to warm the incoming air and to moisten it. It's in this area up here, here you can see, internal carotid artery, branch, ophthalmic, anti-ethmoidal, as what I've told you. I'm not going to go through this because we've done that. We've done the nerves. Don't have to repeat that. Arteries, same again, anti-ethmoidal and the sphenopalatine. But this one really shows the, that sphenopalatine artery, the middle meatus or the middle conja, that's where you'll find the sphenopalatine artery. Lymphatic drainage of the nasal cavity. Which gland do you have up here? Jugulodogastric. Jugulodogastric. Very important. Which gland do you have up here? Submental. Which one you have up here? Which one of the jugulodogastric? Okay, so most of the things go to jugulodogastric. Yes, maybe some go to the retropharyngeal nodes, but you cannot feel them. Where are the retropharyngeal lymph nodes? Behind the pharynx. Very good. Very good. Of course, that's it's in the word. So they're behind the pharynx, so you can't feel them. But as you see, all the lymph from the head and neck go to two distinct nodes. So do know these, the jugulodogastric and the jugulo-omohyoid. Why is the jugulo-omohyoid so important? It drains the anterior part of the tongue straight, right? So the submental goes straight to the jugulo-omohyoid. And guess where the jugulodogastric lymph nodes are draining to? To the jugulo-omohyoid. And that's in this picture. So again, we have the superficial collar lymph nodes, occipital, mastoid, pre, uh, uh, post-auricular, pre-auricular, parotid, um, 
Then we have the submandibular, submental, but everything goes to the jugulodegastric. From jugulodegastric to jugulo-omohyoid. Submental, straight to the jugulo-omohyoid. And then here we have the supraclavicular lymph nodes. And the supraclavicular lymph nodes, especially on the left side, makes us think of, think of this picture of the guy that was a little yellow and was emaciated, lost weight, and had pain on the right side. So if you think on the left supraclavicular, always think of the thoracic duct and think of things that are from below the diaphragm. Oh, a bonus. So you put blue dye in the eye and goes through the tear duct system and where would you see the dye eventually? And it's probably very good not to use the word dye but use contrast material because the patient will only hear the word die and they think they're going to die. So use the word contrast material. Good. It keeps around the 47%. Inferior nasal meatus. Think of this story that I said about an emotional uh, scene or movie or so that is going to the inferior nasal meatus. Doesn't go to all the others. So inferior nasal meatus is the right answer. 